0: Before I get to the main subject of today's episode, I need to mention one source that I totally forgot to mention when I made the summary of where we are. Uh, I made the summary in our last episode, and I talked about all the different personalities, uh, those that have left us, the out-of-body travelers, the time travelers, and so forth. What I forgot to mention was that All of their ideas and inputs, which seem so strange to many of us, pretty much agree with what quantum physicists had come to agree upon as theories uh, as much as 70 years ago. Now, as we know, these quantum physicists are very smart people. And in previous episodes, I have listed uh, what I call the Fantastic 40 Conclusions or Theorems that many of them agreed upon. Just like Seth and some of the other sources, they said that we affect what we experience. We observe reality, and when we do, we change it. Uh, They also talked about there not necessarily being just one objective reality out there, apart from our experience of it. They also talked about the consciousness of subatomic particles, which is something we're talking about right now in these sessions. Uh, they also talked about the uh, probabilities and how the wave function can contain many different probabilities. Something that uh, Seth emphasized. He didn't emphasize wave functions so much as he emphasized the existence of probabilities and how important they are. They also concluded there's no real time in space as we experience them. Just one space-time continuum, they say. Events just are, they said, they're all out there, and it depends what we focus upon uh, when it comes to what we experience. They also talked about matter being simply a curvature of the space-time continuum, and that uh, matter was simply a series of patterns out of focus, uh, much the way that one of the sources said that matter is an arrested frequency, a slowed-down frequency, so that we can perceive them. So all in all, that was a very uh, serious omission on my part not to mention them, because these brilliant scientists in our own physical reality have come to many of the same conclusions that the sources I've talked about uh, have already mentioned. Now, for the main part of today's discussion, uh, I had mentioned that in the previous episode, I talked about blueprints in the cells that make up our bodies, having the information in them uh, to enable us to realize the most favorable version of ourselves. So, in fact, included in our cells is the information that we can use to bring about the most favorable version of ourselves amidst all the probable selves that we might realize. Seth used the term idealizations, which uh, meant idea hyphen realizations. We can realize or make real in our reality these ideas that are already in the cells. So let me quote from Seth now on what he says about this. He said, These idealizations are certain kinds of psychic patterns occurring at different levels. In certain terms, they become the cells, that's our own cells, they become the cell's private, quote, idea of its own growth and development, a picture alive within the cell in terms of physical information, a part of its structure. Such idealizations provide their own impetus, that is, they will grow toward their own greatest fulfillment. So he's saying that the cells themselves will grow toward their own greatest fulfillment. He then goes on to explain that this information is actually conscious. He says this, The idealizations themselves are made of conscious stuff. These are not inert data. The nature of probabilities determines the framework in which these fulfillments can take place and frames, living developments. You might remember we talked about setting barriers or limits as to what we can bring into our reality at the same time. We have an infinite number of these probable realities that we can bring in. He explains it uh, better than I do. He did it last time. I'll, I'll mention it here. Here's what he said. The structure of probabilities provides, on the one hand, a system of barriers in which practical growth is not chosen or significant. And on the other hand, it ensures a safe, creative, rich environment, a reality, in which the idealization can choose from an almost infinite variety of possible possible actions that are best suited to its own fulfillment. Remember how in a past episode he talked about the fact that we are significance-making creatures, that we choose to make some realities significant, significant enough for us to possibly experience them, and others are just excluded. He expands on that idea here. He says, in any system... The idealization has already accepted certain kinds of events as significant and has rejected other, quite as probable events, as not significant. This simply provides a workable focus in which achievement and experience can happen. In simple terms, you will not try to achieve something that you believe impossible within your concepts of reality. The conscious mind, with its normally considered intellect, is meant to assess the practicality of action within your world. You will literally see only what you want to see. If the race believed that space travel was impossible, you would not have it. That's one thing. But if an individual believes that it's literally impossible for him to travel from one end of the continent to the other, or to change his job, or perform any act, then that act becomes practically impossible. The idealization of motion, however, in that person's mind, or of change, may be denied expression at any given time, but it will nevertheless seek expression through experience. This applies in terms of the species as well as individuals. So he's saying we set our own limits with our beliefs. But when our beliefs make something practically impossible for us as an individual, the impetus, the motion for realizing that goal will nevertheless seek expression through experience. Now, I don't know about you, but as for me, I have during my life considered many things impossible for me to do. And I haven't given it much thought after that. I just haven't done them or even tried to do them. But I think there's a lesson here for all of us that we need to keep our imaginations alive as to what the possibilities are for each of us in terms of what we might achieve. As long as we think we can't, we won't. But if we open up our minds to achieving something, who knows how or when we might achieve that seemingly, seemingly impossible thing. And remember, that goes back to the concept of focus. If we focus on something, on achieving something that's seemingly impossible, somehow we can bring it about. You might remember how I mentioned the book Into the Magic Shop by uh, Dr. Dyer uh, as as an example of achieving one thing after another that was seemingly impossible in a given lifetime. That was Into the Magic Shop was the name of that book. Let me continue with what Seth said here. He said, this applies in terms of the species as well as individuals. Because you are now a conscious species in your terms, there are racial idealizations, that's human race, racial idealizations that you can accept or deny. Often at your particular stage of development as a race, these appear first in your world as fiction, art, or so-called pure theory. It's interesting that in our fiction uh, there was space travel long before it actually came about in our reality. Likewise those scientists who agreed upon those theories, they are describing a reality that will perhaps someday become a reality for us. But first we're going to have to accept The possibility that all the things that they are theorizing could indeed become reality for us as we experience it in our everyday lives. Now next, uh, Seth turns to, instead of cells, he's going to talk about thoughts. He says this, thoughts have their own kind of structure as cells do. They too seek their own fulfillment. They move toward like thoughts and you have as a species an inner mass body of thought. Privately, your thoughts are expressions of your idealizations. And while expressing these inner patterns, they also modify and creatively change them. Each cell in your body is, to some extent, altered with each thought that you think. Each reaction of the cells alters your environment. The brain then responds to the alteration. There's a constant give and take. As the cells respond at certain levels to ever-changing streams of probabilities, so do your thoughts. Your body responds as you think it should, however, and so your conscious beliefs about reality have much to do with those probable experiences that you accept as part of your intimate living. I don't know about you, but as much as I've studied this material, um, this is news to me, I, I'd forgotten it or whatever, maybe never knew it. But the fact that each cell in your, uh, in your body, in my body, is to some extent altered with each thought that we think, that's, that's quite a revelation. And that the reaction of the cells alters the environment that we experience. And the brain then responds to the alteration. And this is a constant give and take as we constantly alter it and change it with our thoughts we experience a particular probable reality and not another one. And I'm supposing that would apply to small things like experiencing a happy day or a sad one, but also to big things like experiencing a war or not. So I'll repeat that uh, last phrase of Cess that I read. Your conscious beliefs about reality have much to do with those probable experiences that you accept as part of your intimate living. All right, he then goes on. The private blueprint, that's something we've talked about, the private blueprint, yours at birth, is in certain terms far greater than any one physical materialization of it that could occur in your space and time. This provides you with areas of choice, gives you mani- manipulability, and allows for myriad probable activities being possible. You are the judge and the final word in that regard, so that as your ideas change, as you move toward one probable self and decide upon that as your official self, you'll always have a rich bank of probable actions to choose from. If only one were provided, you would have no choice. The same applies to the species. Now that paragraph makes me realize, and I'm sure it would make you realize, just how important the existence of probabilities is. If there were only one future that we could bring about, our experience in our lives would be relatively sterile. But with this infinite bank of probable actions that Seth mentioned, we have the freedom to create the reality of our choice when it comes to what we'll experience. So, so as to the uh, age-old question of free will, it does indeed exist, and we use it and act on it and control our experience by it every day, every moment of our lives. Uh, Seth then goes on to explain how difficult this is for us to uh, actually realize and think about. He said, Your current decisions to accept one specific line of consciousness as real and to ignore others makes such concepts difficult to understand. You train yourselves, biologically even, to inhibit certain stimuli, yet often the body itself responds to the very stimuli that you consciously ignore. By opening up your minds to new kinds of significances, however, you can begin to glimpse other orders of events with which you are quite intimately concerned. So if we open up our minds to the possibility of other probabilities and other probable selves having taken other paths and doing other things, we can begin to sense these other realities and indeed be affected by them in the reality that we choose to experience. Uh, Seth Gozani says, Often, for instance, you handle probabilities very well while remaining consciously blind to them because of your concepts. Even then, however, on other levels, your unconscious reaction will follow your own conscious intents. You may make a move in physical life, for example, seemingly for one reason. You may also be unconsciously reacting to quite pertinent data regarding the probable actions of others. Because you do not really fully accept the fact that you can so react, you may block this unofficial information, on the one hand, Even while, on the other hand, you take it into consideration. And then he has the following sentence to be underlined. You are far more aware than you realize of the probable future in areas with which you are concerned. You're far more aware than you realize of the probable future in areas with which you are concerned. This is true on all levels. If your purposes do not involve illness, for instance... And yet, if you believe in contagion, you will automatically avoid circumstances that can lead to epidemics. In terms of probabilities, that particular kind will not enter your experience. All of this applies en masse in terms of diseases, for example, that run rampant through a species. Well, haven't we just had an example of that in our own reality here? with the COVID-19 virus. Millions of us died, but millions of others of us did not, weren't even affected by it. Many who got the vaccines were severely injured by them, and in some cases died, while in other cases, many of us were not even affected by the vaccines, at least to our knowledge. But the big point there is that uh, if you believe in epidemics and contagion, as he said, But the purposes for which you have come in to experience this earth life, if your purposes don't involve illness, then you're not going to have it. You're not going to experience it. That harkens back to the idea that there are certain realities that we accept, we accept them as significant and possible, and others that we simply rule out. Well, that concludes today's session. And once again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you Lessons from the Helpful Dead.